This show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to the second episode of the Truth to Power Show. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Today's episode will feature John Heislop, the Queens Library Guild Union President. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a librarian at Queens Library, and I've been working with them for the past 10 years, now as a supervising librarian. And I'm going to have a conversation with John Heislop about his own background and introduction to Queens Library as well as the changing landscape of the past 20 years in Queen's Library and libraries in general, how libraries are a well-known secret of uh, the community, and the importance of history, the futures of, future of unions and libraries, as well as touching in on e-media and e-books and how that's changing the landscape of libraries and the different services offered by the library. At the end of the conversation, we'll be having a frank talk about Tom Galante and the impact he had on Queen's Library very notorious figure in Queen's Library history, uh, recent history, and uh, how and where Queen's Library is going from here. Uh, also featured in this episode later on will be a uh, uh, discussion of the Judgment Day performances at Bullet Space, which I attended uh, this weekend, as well as uh, a song by uh, James Bird, who is a very excellent artist, and please stay tuned for the halftime for that, as well as at the end of the episode, I'm going to be featuring a poem from my upcoming manuscript, uh, Celebrity Sadhana, or How to Meditate with a Hammer, which I'm doing a reading tour for at Queen's Library, so go to vjrnathan.com to find out more about that, and I'll be reading a poem from that manuscript at the end of the episode. Thanks so much, and stay tuned. We'll be uh, starting our interview with John Heislip in a few seconds. Thank you. John Heislop, uh, Queens Library Guild uh, Union President, and uh, we're talking a little bit about libraries and the importance of libraries. So first, why don't we start with, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up in libraries? Sure. Um, hmm. I graduated from college and had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, my girlfriend at the time, her parents came back from Washington, D.C. with a uh, brochure about from the National Archives, and then on the back of it, it said, had you considered a job in archives? And I had no idea. Well, I knew what an archives was, but I had never considered a job in it, so I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah. So I applied to library schools um, with an idea of going to a labor archives. That was my ideal job. Um, got into a number of schools and went to the University of Texas because of its reputation in the arts 
field. For the master's in library science. For the master's in library and information science. So I went to University of Texas in Austin in 1994. Oh, okay. And I graduated in 1996 without a job. Um, While I was was in Austin, I applied to Queens, Queens Library. Uh Um, They had a, a job announcement for a local room. I had no idea what I was applying for. But I sent my application in um, and then went to D.C. to my parents. My parents are in D.C. I moved in with them because I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, while I was there, um, Queen's Library contacted me. Actually, okay. Wow. okay. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Yeah. Maybe they called my parents. I don't know. <laughs> but um, they contacted me and I went to, uh, I went to Queen's to Jamaica and did an interview. And they hired me on the spot. It was surprising. Um, I, and I had no idea. I and the no, position was for archives, or for, it was in the archives. Archives, okay, yeah, yeah, it was in the archives. Um, yeah, it was a kind of a, a, a the the people that had been working there had been working there for years, and they finally retired coincidentally all yeah. the same time. And um, I got hired. Good, good. That day it was great. I had no idea what a borough was. I had no idea what New York City was. <laughs> wow. Um, so. Yeah. So, what was your relationship with libraries previously? Did you go were you, as a child? Did you go to libraries a lot, or did you, or was that something that just to get a oh, sense of? My mom. My mom was a, a school librarian mm-hmm. in private schools, but I didn't care. Yeah. So much about libraries. Okay. I was not a reader. I didn't. It's a late, uh, late passion of yours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I. Yeah, I wasn't a reader. I didn't become a reader until after high school. Okay. Um, but it was the. It was the archives part of it that yeah. triggered me. It, I went to I went to undergrad um, re- again without an idea of what I wanted to do. And what did you major in? Or was your history? 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 Okay, yeah, yeah. That, that explains the interest in archives then. Exactly. Right? Your exactly. kind of passion for history and historical documents. Exactly, and research. Exactly. Yeah. Documentation yeah, yeah. of. of this. So uh, once you uh, got into Queens Library as the archives position, uh, how did you start getting involved in uni uh, leadership? Um, I knew I wanted to be involved with labor. Mm-hmm. Um, in undergrad, the, my professor, Peter Ratcliffe, convinced me that labor organizing and working were so... Working. Working, we spend most of our times... Adults spend most of their time working. And the idea of organizing the organizing workers... So important, right? It's very important. Yeah, and 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 so when I went to when I went to Queens, it was coincidence that they had a union. Yeah, and, and I, since it was already there, I decided oh, to show up, start going to meetings. Now that time, what was the year again? What was uh nineteen ninety six December nineteen ninety six? So I went to my first union meeting January nineteen ninety seven. Great, great. So when you say you're surprised they had a union, uh, can you give a little context to that? Is uh, to libraries in general at that time? Uh, they had unions, or you're saying you're surprised they had unions? No, I'm not surprised. Just coincidence. Yeah. Oh, coincidence. Okay. It, was, it was a coincidence. Right? Yeah. I have no idea. I had no idea what the union is in, in public libraries. Oh, okay, yeah. So, uh, so you started getting involved as a member in the union. How did you get to be uh, president of the Library Guild? I just started being active. I went yeah. to every union meeting. I volunteered to run for delegate for DC30. Um, I was a delegate for a number of years, and then I became the librarian representative. Good, yeah. Um, and these are all by vote or? Yeah, by yeah. election. By election? By Good, election. Yeah. And members elected me. Yeah. Um, and then I was vice president of librarians for about a year. Mm-hmm. 
And then I ran for executive vice president in, 19, in 2002. 2002, okay. So, and that was that yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for 2010. So, um, you know, like the, we would talk a little bit about the importance of libraries. You know, sometimes in the political narrative, you know, libraries, politicians like to um, discount or devalue libraries. But we know as, as someone who, as for myself as well, working in the Queen's Library for 10 years, uh, you know, knowing the importance of libraries in our communities as community centers, as places of lifelong learning. Just to reemphasize, you know, what is your perspective, how these narratives form, or, you know, how do people, why do these narratives perpetuate themselves, if you think, if you think about it, you know? I mean, I don't know, you know, on the crossroads of, you know, the union and the libraries both being kind of some disparaging narratives in the public narr- public uh, discourse, you know? Yeah. Right. yeah. <clears throat> well, it- Especially in Queens, but all of New York City, I I believe politicians appreciate mm-hmm. what public libraries do for the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in 1996, when I first came, in 97, I was impressed. Our saturation and everything. Mm. You know, we were around. You go to any neighborhood, they know where Queens Library was. Exactly. Right? exactly. Every neighborhood, community you know, library. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh yeah, there's a Queens Library. You yeah. can walk in, you know. In South Jamaica, like, oh yeah, it's over there. Yeah, and, and and because we are known, the politicians know that they know mm. that we are a value to the name, and, and especially in Queens. Yeah, in Brooklyn and New York, I'm sure it's similar. Yeah, maybe not much, but but it's similar. And I think there's a everybody understands it. Yeah, New York City. You know, I, I don't know other places, other cities, other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's. I think people appreciate us there, but yeah. I don't know if it's as much because we do so much for everybody exactly exactly i think definitely the importance of libraries are that they bring the community together they knit they help knit the community they Mm -hmm. give opportunities for people Mm -hmm. who um require resources for their uh supporting their education and such Mm -hmm. and especially with to touch in on the diversity of queens and how Mm -hmm. the uh values of inclusiveness and for, for a little while you know after um about six months ago, we had started the campaign of everyone is welcome, mm-hmm. and uh, the idea that uh, we stand for the uh, inclusivity and inclusiveness uh, and that diversity of Queens is something to be valued and honored. So, uh, if we could speak a little bit about that and how your perception of how that kind of uh, supports or you know um, supports the supportion of the immigration community. You know, it's I was the uh, archivist. For the Long Island Division, now the Archives at Queens Library, and part of our collection is is the Queens Library records. Uh-huh. So we have documentation of Queens Library going back to the beginning, yeah. or even before 1898, when we became a Queens Library. Um, and our entire history has been serving the com- the communities of Queens. Yeah, and, the, and, and Queens has always been diverse. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. the diversity was Europeans. Uh-huh. Um, back in the day when we had Polish, German, Irish, um, and we were all we were always serving them. The cultural the cultural norms of the times were different. Yeah. And when we when we were serving those communities in 1904, we were teaching them English. We were American Americanizing them. Yeah, and we were teaching them how to be an American. Different approach, um, yeah. which is different from now, but that's that was the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we but we were always serving communities. We had languages we had material in different languages we had programs in different languages then and so when i came to queens it was it was heartening to see to hear to see the what we did what we do 
Um, and we have this new Americans program. Exactly. exactly yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. And, and we have the, um, where, where we reach out to every community, where we build collections um, using the demographics from the U.S. Census. Mm -hmm. um, by neighborhood and it's amazing it's and so we also have the um adult learning centers mm -hmm. which provide a much needed uh, uh opportunity for people who don't know how to read or write english there's nowhere else that's in new york city where that's free well, maybe they are but it's not as is not as, accessible, not as much yeah. it's accessible. accessible yeah and we have them in public libraries that are open very generous hours so the new american program in addition to you know english as second language or uh also does the uh pathways to citizenship mm -hmm. and helps people with um kind of finding their way their path and uh you know from coming here and then establishing themselves in the community as a citizen and uh different resources even for long-standing citizens to find resources for them to learn about uh, different issues that they may be facing um so Talking a little bit about your leadership and approaches to leadership, uh, you know, kind of bringing the community, finding, uh, bringing things to the community, bringing uh, the community awareness of that. So what is your approach to leadership and uh, um, what are ways in which you've tackled different challenges in leadership? No. Yeah. Um, well, I know there's a lot of balancing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really think about leadership too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do it by example. Uh-huh. I I try to emulate the ideas that my parents instilled in me, accepting of everyone and uh -huh. making sure that everybody has a party. Uh -huh. um, I want, and I want that for people. So I I advocate for people, and I that's that's what I do. And and, and I, I guess there are conscious efforts of leadership where I uh -huh. make statements, and I know that it's seen by everybody. Yeah. Um, but so sometimes there's like, you know, with the leadership, uh, there's all these texts written about all these different, you know, modules or ways of approaching leadership. And then there's also on the ground, you know, how you adapt to the different circumstance situations. So, um, you know, I think with uh, from my own experience, you know, there's like the textbook answer and there's the, the other answer. Maybe some people have received the right answer, you know, yeah. so, you know, uh, Ways in which we adapt to different circumstances and in your uh, situation, I think probably you might think about like uh, the written document of the contracts and how we deal with how we apply mm -hmm. different ways in which we negotiate, uh, kind of following the guidelines and such and mm -hmm. uh, adapt to different circumstances. Yeah. You know, you, I, yeah. You, and you make some, you make, brought an idea in my head. You know, one of the things that I like to do as president, what I think is very important is communication. Mm -hmm. Having having open communication is very important. Exactly. Um, dialogue is hard. <laughs> but yeah. I try to try to do that. But but communicating. One uh -huh. of the one of the thing one of the most important things that I think as leaders need to as leaders of a union, especially where the union is the people. Let's not, let's not forget it. Everybody says, Oh, you're the union. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am your leader, but I'm I, I'm not the union. The union is us. Yeah. But people need to know what the what we're doing. And that's mm -hmm. always something very important that I found to be very helpful. Like transparency. Um, transparency. Yeah. And, and, and it's easy to forget. You yeah. Know, I, I have definitely made mistakes where I forgot to include people, yeah. for example. And that's to make sure we always do that is mm -hmm. very important. To make sure that we're always communicating to the people. That's hard. Yeah. There's many ways to communicate and not everybody with them. Yeah. Um, 
and sometimes we forget, but it's it's very important that that we communicate because it's our union it involves. We need to involve everybody in that. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, now the future of how things are going now. You know how uh, now I understand you do the digital archives. Uh, you, you're archiving interviews with different union leadership. Uh, is that correct? Or I had read some article that was saying uh, we're starting yeah. to do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Can you tell a little bit about project and what's going to that project? Or? It's it's actually uh, it's in development or it's in development. Well, it's not yeah. in development. We've kind of we haven't done any interviews yet, uh-huh. but it's. It's it's mirroring what the Queen's Library did does mm-hmm. with this Queen Me- Queen's Memory Project. Queen's Memory Project, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where they interview different community members and get their, their memories of their lives in uh, Queens and then mm-hmm. archive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so what we're going to do is is interview the people who have had an impact on mm-hmm. um, and, and the DC thirty seven locals. Okay. Um, and so we've we've done a call to to interview, um, and we want to find out what they did. We want our voices heard, and we want to define us mm-hmm. instead of having somebody else define people us and say whatever they want about unions. Exactly, people exactly. need to know. It's very important. Yeah. That's that's the the crux of communication that gets lost. Yeah, and so we want to make sure people hear our voice to make sure you know to see how valuable they are. Yeah, it's so important that sometimes. In, uh, and we're talking about history, you know, and as as the time progresses, you know, it's so easy to rewrite or respin mm-hmm. what's happened in the history books and these mm-hmm. kinds of things. And you know, I was just reading some stuff about how, you know, uh, the uh, some textbook had put down that the first native source na- nations had voluntarily moved, as opposed to you know they'd actually phrase it like that. And mm-hmm. there was some uh, screenshots that passed around saying mm-hmm. that this is like a you know complete, you know. Respinning or re or live how how it's presented. And it's important for us, you know, at, in the moment to remember and archive and put, be a part of history, so that then our voices are heard. So I mm-hmm. definitely hear that, yeah. and I definitely think that's important. Yeah. 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 So um, what what about the future? What is your what do you think is coming up in the next few years for unions or uh, your uh, particular chapter, if you'd like, or anything like that? Or what's the trajectory? Like, how are you trying to? achieve or plan to achieve uh, the goals that you were mentioning about uh, transparency and inclusivity and communication yeah, yeah. the um, the, un- the future for public sector unions mm-hmm. and the immediate is dire uh-huh also. though not insurmountable yeah, um, also, yeah. the uh, next year the supreme well uh, next year probably march april the supreme court is hearing a case me Mm-hmm. Um, district council something in Chicago, yeah. um, where a member is saying that it's his uh, voice, political voice, okay, by or um, to pay for negotiators to negotiate contracts okay. that, with politicians and that's political speech. Um, and there's a case, and so the Supreme Court is hearing this case, and it a slight variation in another case in 1977 where the Supreme Court ruled that if there is a union, um, everybody has to pay their fair share, mm-hmm. whether you're a union member or not, because the union is for you, for the members. The members, um, even if you're actually, not even members, for anybody in the agency, mm-hmm. member or not. So you have to pay your fair share. That was yeah. in 1977. And so, and so this case that's going to happen in 18, even though there's precedents, may turn that, those pre- that precedent. 
and say, if even though there's a union in a shop, you can elect not to pay dues mm-hmm. and still get the services. So that would have dire That's, impact on yeah. So qualifies there's work. going to be and and yeah. and public sector unions are predicting a significant percentage of people dropping out saying i don't want to pay my union dues and that's going to have a hard that's going to have a huge impact our representation Mm. it's having a huge impact on our work lives going to be able to pay for some of the services we're going to expect i think uh at this junction it's important to um would you say it's important to uh increase communication increase transparency so that then those benefits and those uh those powerful, you know, powerful uh, help that the union is giving and, and giving is providing, or the union represents, um, would that be able to do any effect, or is this are we at a juncture now that, um, you know, how what, what would you say that what kind of things we can do to uh, influence um, this? Yeah. We've already seen it. Yeah. Um, we've already seen AFSME and DC thirty seven's reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, comp- the competition that we're going to be experiencing is transformative. It's not going to, and I think we're going to react more po- uh, positively to, towards it and stronger for yeah. it because we are going to people. When unions were when when AFSCME was formed, we didn't have this agent. We didn't have this fair share fee mm-hmm. where everybody paid, um, and we grew. We weren't stagnant. We grew. Um, and I think if the, if this court case goes against us, we'll maintain. It'll be difficult, uh-huh. but I think it's an opportunity for us to remind people and reinforce people that you can't get the the experience, the services, the the power if you don't pay for it. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's an, that's, exactly, exactly. It's, uh... So when we negotiate with the city. Uh-huh. If we don't have good people negotiating for us, he's going to give us what we need, mm. what we yeah. are, what what is required. Yeah. Are we going to get a good salary? Yeah. No. Are we going to lose our our medical care coverage? Right now we pay zero, which yeah. is remarkable. And the city is demanding that we pay more. Always, they always demand that we pay something. Right mm. now, our, uh, and so if we don't have good people negotiating for us. We will get steamrolled, yeah, and we true, will be true. paying more. That's what's happened in many states that have lost the ability to that have lost the ability to collect dues. Members. So. All right, so we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back in a few minutes, uh, and then we'll continue the conversation. Then, so much. to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is a nonprofit organization and you can support us by going to radiofreebrooklyn.com backslash donate or you can sponsor the show at radiofreebrooklyn.com backslash truth to power. All your donations are tax deductible and you can go to that site to figure out some perks associated with giving donations. Um, so we'd love to also, if you'd like to be a guest on, on Truth to Power, please write to truthtopowershow at gmail.com. 
If you'd like your song to be featured uh, on this program, please also write to that address. And then uh, I'll definitely consider putting you on for a plug for the show. Um, so I want to speak a little bit about uh, my experience going to Judgment Day performances at Bullet Space in the Lower East Side. And I thought it was a very interesting uh, performance art exhibit in which um, very small space, intimate space, in which about uh, four or five presenters were engaged in a kind of non-narrative form of uh, repeating actions in which uh, one in particular, uh, an artist by the name of Kate Hamburger, um, aka Glamberger, a multidisciplinary artist activist based in Kingston, New York, and she did a uh, presentation of hammering rose petals into a wall. The rhythmic uh, sound of the hammer falling was very interesting for me to observe and listen to. Unfortunately, uh, I came at about 4 o'clock. The performance has been going on since 3 o'clock, so about an hour into it. I observed it for about... 20 minutes or so, kind of looking around at the different spaces, the different artists. And uh, a neighbor, I overheard a neighbor coming down saying, you know, complaining about the noise, saying, what's that noise? And it's been going on for some time. And unfortunately, the uh, performer had to, was forced to uh, kind of quiet down, which unfortunately had the impact on the, the import or the uh, emotional or cathartic element of the performance. Uh, so, of course, that or negated that, but at the same time, I felt that the uh, the experience of having, in the beginning of having uh, listened to it and experienced it was very interesting. And uh, you know, one of the art the artist Nicole Goodwin, who was the uh, author of War Cries in two thousand eight, teen uh, Ragdale Alice Judgson Hales Fellowship recipient, um, had another performance that was happening simultaneously. That was very interesting as well, and you can check out some more information about these artists, as well as the other artists uh, exhibited there. And I think that my impression was that the these kinds of spaces should be more populated in New York, and I think that's unfortunate that it's kind of relegated to uh, a small space in the Lower East Side, but I hope that I can learn a little bit more about these kinds of performances and these performance spaces. So if you have any tips for uh, me to experience or increase my knowledge of performance art, please write to truth to power show at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear and have a conversation on air about uh, performing arts, performance art. Uh, so if you're also a performance artist and you'd like to be featured, uh, we'll definitely talk about scheduling. Um, so we're going to be featuring a song by James Bird called uh, Truly Seek Truth. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about James Bird, you can go to facebook.com backslash jamesbird619. Please go and uh, follow his feed. This song is from the album Parables. So please check it out and I uh, hope you enjoyed the song. And we'll be back to our interview with John Heislip in a few minutes. Thank you. The lovely lanterns have lighted up the night as the beaming face has greeted me, pulling me along to places of great enormity. Upward into the darkness, 
and worry to the soul. We spend lifetimes being guided by God that we cannot see. And there's a world inside our heads, but it's so hard to see unless you're dead. But we can open the doors with the keys we hold inside our chest. Hold inside our chest. So to those who truly Breath after breath, am I ready for this or is this just another test? I'll build a ship and sail out to sea, and I'll miss my friends, but they won't miss me. And it's so hard to be alive when everyone else is blind. We're almost free our minds. So to those who truly see truth, dive in and dive deep. My friends, and pursue what you wish to watch an idea. What it is for dancing that grows forever onward. Whenever it is given light or the will to Okay, so we're back with John Heislop, uh, Queens Library Guild president. And in the beginning of the talk, we started talking a little bit about your history and how you started the library in the 90s. Um, can you tell a little bit about your perception of the changing, the ways in which libraries have changed or adapted since the past 20 years? Uh, 20 years is such a long time. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I never thought I'd be here <laughs> for 20 years. Um, the, I think libraries have libraries have definitely changed yeah um and and they definitely are 
meeting meeting those changes and 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 libraries at least queen's library in mm-hmm. the past hundred years yeah. has adapted to yeah. all the changes yeah there there was a I, I remember reading stuff about how we would not get trade paperbacks uh-huh. back in whatever that yeah was. there was an argument about getting trade paperbacks and yeah and and, and the librarians were being stuffy but they admit, well, we need <laughs> trade paperbacks and they got trade paperbacks yeah um but we always adapt, and, uh-huh. and we're adapting now. So the policy of just hardcover books, or they, they would just and no, you know, like you know, even that was before my time. Yeah, that was before, yeah. <laughs> but the, wow. I remember reading arguments about that's amazing. That. Yeah, um, and even even DVDs and, and getting DVDs mm-hmm. and CDs. That was that's that isn't my time, and there was arguments against doing that. Yeah, uh, but because they want to be uh, just for books, books or, yeah, yeah, just for books, just for books. Yeah, but that's not what drives that's not what should our opinions not our, the, the professional's opinion shouldn't necessarily drive what libraries do yeah uh, the, we we there's a value in, in our opinion but it's definitely our customers should dry, do a lot of it yeah the demand the need impact yeah the need for the customer the customer need the customer circulation that we have usage right we were you, talking a little exactly. bit about that exactly yeah. and so so yeah and and i we see it now right now. we had cds and dvds v, v, vhs tapes and cds and dvds that was huge demand. People loved it. Yeah. And and, uh, but now everybody's streaming. Yeah. We it's, have uh, we have like uh, I think on the e music I have some statistics here. Uh, e books are six hundred twenty five thousand a year. Three hundred nineteen thousand of digital music and movies circulated. So we're still building. You know, I mean, compared to the uh, twelve point eight million items borrowed. So in total, so we have. Um, you know, it's still building. I think you know, yeah, yeah. as far as our statistics go. But yeah, any, yeah. but even even. But in general, but in I general, people, people are stream, streaming people a lot. Netflix yeah. and yeah, Amazon exactly. Prime yeah, and whatever. It's it's yeah. the convenience is is impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, there is there is socioeconomic economic issues about that it costs money. Mm-hmm. Um, the li- and the libraries do meet those needs. People who don't want to buy that that stuff and yeah, and we're not technically technically savvy uh-huh. um, to do that. Um, yeah, the digital divide is something that library addresses, helping yeah. people become techno- technologically right. literate and right. understand the ways in which uh, society in general has become more and more based on the internet. Even with uh, when you try to reach out to different organizations, they they don't always provide a phone number. They sometimes ask you to, you know, sometimes they do. Sometimes sometimes buried somewhere, companies <laughs> will borrow their phone number and yeah. they want you to fill out the form on the internet or want you to email them. Right. Yeah, right. and that's going to be. I think that's. Become the norm. Become the norm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we meet those challenges, and the mm-hmm. Queen's Library does adapt. Yeah. You know, we we are now becoming more community center oriented. Mm-hmm. We've always been that. Yeah. And we've always been that. We've always offered programs. We've always that the community center. But how? But I think that's becoming more necessary. Yeah, as the um, changing times. And as also, the changing times. And, yeah. and we, we are the only free space in Milton Queens. Mm-hmm. If you go to South Hollis, for example, yeah, there's nowhere in South Hollis you can go for free inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing. Yeah. And that's a great opportunity for people South Hollis. Exactly. I mean, South Hollis is an example, yeah. but every community has and especially since the community libraries are uh, integrating into so many different, you know, there's so many of the 63 libraries in Queens and in all these uh, neighborhoods, mm-hmm. we have, you know, differing levels of 
you know what what the neighborhood the flavor of the neighborhood if you will and right. you know right right and you know, what, you, know what's, you know what's impressive too is that the staff <clears throat> is this the staff is aware of their neighborhood so mm-hmm. they will develop the programs the 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 collections to 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 meet the neighborhood's needs exactly because yeah. every neighborhood is different in Queens yeah Middle Village is very different from uh, I don't know Arvern yeah Middle Village is very different from Flushing exactly you know, yeah you know the, the, the in Flushing it's fair there's a lot of Asians there and Middle have it yeah and so but the communities the the the, the staff know that they recognize their community and they offer the service mm-hmm. for their community and just to remind people that. You know, the community has a voice. So that, that's on the, on the other side. It's like the staff is trying to listen, is listening to the community and, and responding to the community need, responding to the community demand. Mm-hmm. So they come in and they, a lot of times I'll have the situation where people will be like, you know, I'm looking for this book, that book, and we make sure that we are providing the services that meet mm-hmm. the usage, you know, yeah. so just to illustrate or expand yeah, on exactly, that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, that's, and that's what's great about Queens. Mm-hmm. Queens yeah. Library, it's like, it's, we are so... And we've we've always been this way. I like uh-huh. the, I like what the uh, president CEO's um, mission to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. I like that, and yeah. I, I'm glad we are making that prominent. Mm-hmm. But we've always been that way. We've been yeah, open to everyone. Exactly. And that's and we always adapt to our the commands. Mm-hmm. So at the libraries, we have uh, you know just uh, continue to expand on the technology and how. We have the computer centers, the lab centers mm-hmm. in a lot of these libraries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, providing free internet access <clears throat> to the community mm-hmm. uh, um, and printing access, all these different aspects in which the Queens Libraries have stepped up mm-hmm. and all libraries have stepped up to mm-hmm. um, allow people to learn uh, and to have access to technology as mm-hmm. the as the demand for technology literacy c- continues. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and I imagine that's happening all over the nation. Yeah. The same. Services, uh-huh. free Wi-Fi, free computer, free printing. So let's circle back. You were talking about uh, your interest in histories and archives, and how is that? Are you still uh, keeping up with how you know archives have changed in uh, maintaining? Uh, you were saying about digitizing archives, uh, digital archives, and mm-hmm. uh, if you have any uh, uh, perspectives on how that has uh, altered. I remember back in the day when I was in uh, college. Uh, not that long ago, but at the turn of the century, you know, I had to do um, research and I was doing the microfiche and all that mm-hmm. and I was looking up. But now it's almost all, you know, kind of become in different different formats and different ways in which we access even the catalog. When I first started in high school, we had the card catalog and now it's an online catalog. Mm-hmm. So if you can expand on kind of your perception, either as a user or as a librarian, how uh, these kinds of adaptations and uh, digitizing mm-hmm. um has libraries at yeah. a local level i can talk more mm-hmm. knowledgeably knowledgeably at a local level yeah when i um first started the it was common for schools high school and colleges to send this to the archives <clears throat> to do research on their neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, and we would get 15 to 20 people during the school year, depending on what time of the school year, but it was a constant. Um, it was a constant. Yeah. We would have many kids from the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that change? That has yeah. dropped drastically. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Yeah. 2000, whenever that was, 2003, yeah. 4, 5, 6. Yeah. Um, when more and more content, especially Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, 
came online, people started using it. I'm very understandable. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart because I love talking to, talking to people and you know, and providing yeah. reference. I I enjoy that so much. Yeah. Um, saying, eh, looking for that one book that would answer that question. Mm-hmm. But um, now people go online. And yeah. I do it. Everybody, everybody's yeah. doing it. And that's going to be the norm. So to adapt to that, we the Queen's Library developed the a digital presence where yeah. we are digitizing material from the archives. Um, books, photographs, maps, newspapers, um, and putting them online. Mm. And, and people do research online. Good, good. And so I guess it increases our access to the materials. Increases our, increase, the access, yeah, it increases, increases access to the materials and provides um, more accurate, mm. more accurate information about what's in Queens. There's such a danger, I think, with the perception <laughs> of the narrative that, uh, you know, uh, you can just Google things and uh, find your answer, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. the balancing that with the need for uh, a professional who uh, has a, d- done a lot of, especially for people in studies, mm-hmm. who kind of can go to you know with the prevalence of um, you know misleading or even fake information being put on the internet, mm-hmm. kind of balancing that with the need for becoming literate in research. And I think for that sense, we have to remind ourselves that the libraries uh, provide that kind of uh, uh, professional, um, you know, research assistance. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know, at certain levels, but, you know, definitely the librarians are research professionals who mm-hmm. help people yeah. uh, navigate their way through. It's not just a question of Googling a question, but rather, uh, you know, understanding what the sources you're using and all these kind of literacies that are required for this kind of a project especially in studies so um just to expand on and clarify what you were saying yeah Yeah. you know yeah you know it's it's uh, uh, it's interesting because when there's like there's in the end and if we provide the full text of a a book Mm -hmm. a librarian archivist may not what's inside a book but if you can google or do you know go to the online archives at Queen's Library mm-hmm. and search that book? You may find a piece of information that you ever you know, hadn't been yeah, found since the exactly, writing of that exactly. book. Yeah. And so there's a there, it's it crawls the text in other words. In other words, you can do keyword search or uh, a yeah. search in, within Correct. the text of the book. Correct. Oh, that's so, excellent. So the material. Yeah. So what we're what the Queen's Library is providing is full searchable. Wow, great, great books. Yeah. We've got to do the work. We've got yeah. to digitize it and process it. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's not a question of just scanning it. Then you have to actually do something more, or just some kind yet. of special I'm, kind of scanning. I'm sure. I'm sure someday yeah. it'll be. Yeah. I'm sure someday yeah. it'll be like that. But yeah. Like, right now, we have to scan each page. Uh huh. Turn the page. Scan, wow. Turn the page scan. Yeah. And, and then work, and then yeah. and then run it through some software yeah. that will read quote read the text. Yeah. And 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 make it searchable. Uh huh. Full textable. Excellent, and we're doing excellent. that for newspapers, and newspapers are a wealth of information, mm. uh, especially yeah. especially yeah. doing research on their families. Yeah, it's a lot of obituary data, attention, and as you were saying about these are all tools, but ultimately, you know, having the the uh, ability, the knowledge, of the wisdom to know how to apply these tools when you're a researcher, right. you know, kind of knowing or discerning the sources, the legitimacy of the sources, and uh, knowing how to apply these right. different tools right. is important to recognize the importance of right. librarians as the uh, gatekeepers or the uh, people who help uh, bring people who are still learning their skills right. to right. the next level so that then they can do right. that. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, that's a, and that is a challenge when it goes online. Exactly, exactly. Such an You're illusion. You're not going to have that. Such an illusion yeah. that you can just Google things and <clears throat> that's the end of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So we were talking a little bit about uh, leadership and the importance of transparency and communication. So one of the uh, big stories that came out a few years ago and now we're kind of, uh, you know, at a point where we're trying to adjusting from it. But we had leadership of uh, Galante as the president of C- CEO of uh, Queen's Library. And uh, if you get a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar, but if you get a little bit of surrounding background and how this has affected us on the not just library and community level, but also on the city and state level. So you just gave a little context of that kind of story. And sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Um, for for many for many years, um, probably going back to 2010, Tom Galante had caused ha- <laughs> caused havoc at the library. Uh-huh. Um, the city was going through some budget issues, and that and 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 Tom Galante took it up. Upon himself to try to extract benefits from the staff, uh-huh. um, he threatened us. He threatened us with layoffs, and in fact, laid off twenty-four, forty-four people in two thousand ten. Um, and the the union stood strong against that. We it was, it was a very uncomfortable situation. Very for tumultuous us. time. Very yeah. tumultuous time, yeah. and very disruptive. Morale was horrible, and that was reflected probably in a lot of services that the library provided. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the union. Many people had a union. There was a divide between non-union and union at the Queens Library, mm-hmm. and the union staff didn't suffer as much as the non-union staff. Mm-hmm. He would fire people indiscriminately mm-hmm. if he didn't like you. He would fire you. That never happened with the union staff. They had layoffs and they had forty-four layoffs in two thousand ten, and after that, we were strident and militant in our avoidance of that. And we involved the politicians. We made sure that that never happened again for union staff. Mm-hmm. But for the non-union staff, they suffered. Yeah. Some, of them, some of them did not get raises. Union staff did. Some uh-huh. of them got crazy raises because they were his friends, and others didn't. Get yeah. And so in 2014, mm-hmm. um, Galante decided that he wanted to contract out custodial work. Mm-hmm. And that upset us greatly. It upset yeah. the union. They were. It was another attack on on, on the union workforce. Mm-hmm. And, and it didn't make sense. We didn't understand why he was using tax dollars to undermine decent paying jobs. Yeah, it made no sense. So we got the inflatable rat put uh-huh. it in front of Jamaica and the Central Library in Jamaica. We had protests. We had rallies. Um, but it didn't sway him. We, yeah. politicians wrote him letters. It. He was, his ego would not let him back down. And this underlies the importance of what you're talking about, like how Queen's Library should represent all of its workers and all of its communities. And, you know, and then the contrast to sometimes leadership's, leadership can forget that and, yeah. you know, and just ignore or use their positions to um, undermine the very values in which Queen's Library represents. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. You know, and, 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 and we should be supporting a strong middle class. Mm-hmm. With our yeah. with our tax dollars, we should be supporting a strong middle class. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. for some reason, he did not yeah. believe that. And it, so interferes with the his personal opinions or values. Interferes with the values in, of the rep- organization he's representing. Exactly, he's exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah. he he had the backing of the trustees. Uh huh. Um, so we in I think it was a I don't remember the dates, but twenty fourteen, 
uh, Juan Gonzalez, uh, reported for the Daily News, mm-hmm. um, was contacted about uh, the smoking deck, the deck that Tom Galante had built um, outside his office. Mm-hmm. And this uh, this was kind of broke the story to yeah, the yeah. So so the Juan general, Gonzalez, yeah. the Daily News reporter, went to the Central Library, mm-hmm. saw saw the smoking deck, saw Galante's office, and realized something was going on. Oh, okay, yeah. and he said, "This is why is he wasting twenty four thousand dollars? Actually, I think it was seventy four thousand dollars mm-hmm. on renovating his office and building a smoking deck. Mm-hmm. This is our tax money. Why is he going back into the public library? Why is he contracting out security guards? Yeah, I mean uh, custodians. And so he kept on writing articles. He wrote articles, wrote articles, and uncovered a lot of. Hey, it didn't turn out to be illegal, but it turned out to be." unethical mm. immoral yeah. expenditures yeah um melinda katz uh, the borough president was elected for the first time and she was you know, one of the first things that she encountered was this huge uproar about queen's library and yeah. she got angry and she was like well something has to be done mm-hmm. and through <laughs> and, and 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 she couldn't do anything she was stymied so she got the state involved the state had to change New York State uh, legislation to create New York State legislation to change the makeup and how the Queens Library trustees are made. Mm-hmm. She fired trustees. She brought in new trustees. They eventually fired him. Um, but it was because of the union mm-hmm. advocating for its members and then therefore the community. We were able to change that. A very important um, fulcrum between the two, between like, you know, gang community to really move and we're getting the, the legislation to move and all these kinds of things. Very important part of that equation that connects the communication, as you were saying. You right, know? right, right, right. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 an, it's a good example of why why unions are important. Yeah. We are, we are in advocating for our members, we are advocating for mm-hmm. New York City. We're advocating exactly. for Queens. We're advocating for the Queens Library. Yeah. We are advocating for a workforce that is happy and, and productive. Yeah. And compensated well. We are members of that community. We mm-hmm. care about a community and we bring back to the community because of that. Okay. Um, and I think that illustrates what the Galante situation illustrated was that progressiveness. Yeah. And bringing and, 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 and strengthening of our community. So after Galante left, they ended the contract for custodians. They hired union custodians who get benefits, mm-hmm. who get a pension who get a salary. Mm-hmm. New York City salary. New York City public workers' salaries are, are low, but mm-hmm. it's a salary. Yeah. They ended the custodial the, the security guard contract mm-hmm. and brought in union security guards. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a lot. And then the trustees hired Dennis Walcott, who has been good. You know, I, I think the staff are, are happy. Yeah. Queens Library staff are happy and that's translated into better services. Exactly. Productivity. Yeah. Um, people are uh, morale is better. Yeah. And that, that, that cascades into better services, better, you know, better that the backbone of the community, the community is going to improve. We're going to have, you know, it's going to slowly, slowly filter down so that then, uh, you know, we're going to see more of an effect on mm-hmm. the city as a whole and all these kind of things. So, the, ultimately, the Queen's Library and the libraries in general are 
really very important to the functioning, the health of the of the community. All right. So I yeah, agree one hundred percent. Yeah. And 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 as and I'll go back to this. When yeah. you walk around Queens and you're lost because Queens can be very confusing. You get off a subway and you're like, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> um, and you say, How do I get to the Regal Park Library? Yeah. On Sixty Third Drive, everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody talks. So true. Like, oh, you yeah. Walk down that street. You yeah. Go right, left. You're right there. Uh huh. So just to, as we start to wrap up, um, you know, this might be a good exa- example illustration of the, the title of the show, you know, Speaking Truth to Power. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you can talk a little bit about what you think about that phrase or how you feel like, uh, you know, it connects a lot of the themes we're talking about, you know, connecting with the, the truth of the, the person as well as the truth of the communities and such. How does that connect with yeah, you? Yeah, I think the, the, and libraries provide that. Yeah. We are very... We, as a library employee, I found it very satisfying to be able to help people understand their community. Uh-huh. You know, working in the Long Island Division archives at the Queens Library, you provide content text for why a community exists, why this is neighborhood, and so when people learn that, they get, they become, they they themselves create a sense of community. They understand. Oh yeah, I, well, that makes sense. This is why this neighborhood is the way it is. Exactly. And it brings them home. It grounds them more. And I think yeah. that's uh, in the archives. That was very satisfying. That was and that that truth, that power, it was empowering, and people felt exactly. like I, I like my community because of the because of the way it is. So also just to connect to our first episode, we talked a lot about how individual voices and the. Uh, collective you know how sometimes in our narratives in our personal lives uh can need that need to be connected with the larger narrative so a lot of this theme of this episode as well has been you know remembering that groups and communities are made up of individuals that then empower they're empowered to inform their larger communities so it's all kind of uh nice flow a nice natural mm-hmm. organic flow yeah. and i think that unions being a very important part of that so Thank you very much for being here. AJ, thanks. Uh, thank fun. you. And uh, all right. So thanks so much for listening in. Thank you. You just completed listening to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, to close up, I'm going to be reading from a, a poem from my manuscript um, called uh, Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with a Hammer. Uh, to find out more about that, you can go to bjrnathan.com. Or follow me on Facebook at BJR Nathan Poet. So facebook.com slash backslash uh, BJR Nathan Poet. And then uh, you can find out more about readings upcoming in Queens Library, including uh, readings at Flushing this weekend, November 26th, uh, and December 3rd at Central, and December 9th at the Jackson Heights Library, Jackson Heights Library. So find out more about those uh, readings at bjrnathan.com. And uh, definitely follow me on Facebook. And then I'll, I'll definitely, um, and if you'd like to be a guest on this show, please write to truthpowershow at gmail.com. Thanks so much and enjoy the poem and see you. I hope to have you as a recurring listener. Thank you. Rider Dream, directed by Tim Burton. Winona compulsively steals itineraries. Her archives of confiscated timetables and incomplete to-do lists are walls encircling her. Cthulhu intrudes upon the scene. Really, it's Johnny Depp in a motion capture suit. He wrestles a tangled web of fairy lights 
and Gawel's paper towers leaving only crumbs to permit Winona's rise from disgrace. Keanu Reeves appears in the costume of a Mahasiddha, a wild-eyed bearded yogi wearing only a loincloth, proclaims himself to be a therapist ready to tackle Winona's challenges. Winona tabulates her past actions, transforming them into complex mathematical equations. She frantically scribbles formulas. In an inspired bit of double casting, Johnny Depp approaches as the Saks Fifth Avenue guard. He face punches Winona. She rises towards the atmosphere. Keanu menacingly advances towards Depp. His body moves slowly. Oh, so slowly. Keanu's two hands bloom into a lotus flower mudra and he calls out, Hadouken. Saks Fifth Avenue guard regresses into Thulu, then reverts to Depp, who laments, crying and beating his chest. Meanwhile, Winona continues to rise higher and higher.